67 of the survival podcast i've always said we live in interesting times but gee what interesting times over the weekend we got a lot to talk about today i'll give you the twitter poll results from last week uh there's some interesting things in there i might have to actually well rerun several if not maybe even three of the twitter polls from last week based on what happened friday going forward and see if it might change some answers yeah um, I also am on Noster. I dropped my pub key into the live chat. It will be in the audio notes. Uh, I was busy this morning figuring out how to make Noster work. And so I didn't update my YouTube boiler. And I realized right when I put that in the live chat, I really need to start putting that in all my YouTube videos now down in the video notes. And I shall start doing that officially tomorrow. Uh, but so I'll talk a little bit about Noster and some things I've already discovered about it, just playing with it for about half a day. Then we're going to dig into the reason that all of y'all showed up, right? The blood and guts, the gore in the street, the apocalypse in the making, bank collapses. I got a lot on this. It will be about half of the content of the show today. Um, none of it's good. Maybe it's not as bad. Maybe it's worse. We don't really know right now. There is some serious bullshit going on. I promise you, this is not as simple as... Oh, look, this bank didn't have enough reserves when there was a run. There's some back, back end bullshit happening. We'll kind of speculate on what that could kind of be. And, um, I also want to talk about, uh, well, the Senate and the House just voted unanimously, both bodies, to declassify everything relating to the lab leak theory of the COVIDs. I want to say that again, unanimously. Now, not every single person that's in the Senate or the House voted yay. They either voted yes or they weren't in, they weren't there. We're going to talk about this, and I don't see any way that something called a pocket veto can occur right now, though I guess that it could. This is a really weird thing, and I just, my bullshit detector's pegging on this. I said it as soon as it came out. I'm wondering if it's some kind of a distraction or what the play is here, because it doesn't make sense that the party that shrieked that releasing the video footage of Jan 6th was a tearamount to treason to actually see what happened, then turns around in this thing that they've defended against the entire time. Unless the stuff they're going to release is the stuff that's already been released, then there's nothing being hidden that we don't already know, which is kind of like those tapes. I don't know. But something... Something stinks. Unanimous this, unanimous votes of the current legislature are not common in 2023. There, there's something going on here, and I will ask the audience, you know, in live chat to tell me what they think it might be when we get to it. Because I don't, a lot of people are like, I'll tell you later. I don't know. But something isn't right. We're also going to talk about the greater Idaho movement today. There's this movement for a bunch of counties and uh, Eastern Idaho to, or, I'm sorry, Eastern uh, Oregon to join Idaho. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit because I think that 
I think that something is not being said about this, right? Um, that, that probably needs to be, and that this maybe is not the solution that's kind of the middle ground between secession and state rights that some people think that it is. I'm going to tell you that I don't, I don't think that many people benefit from this. And even the people that benefit don't maybe benefit as much as they could. And the big problem with it is an end game. Okay. That's, that's what we're going to talk about there. And then I'm going to talk about some good stuff. I'm going to talk about some good stuff because basically I think it's time for us all to dance while, while Rome burns. I don't know who, who's playing the fiddle. Maybe Michael Saylor with his, uh, his, his stuff on Bitcoin or something, but it's, it, it's time to have a party because we are, we are in a cycle shift and you can either be miserable about it or you can capitalize on it. So none of these are like big business ideas or anything, though I'm going to mention some stuff like that. I'm going to talk about this really great use for Trombuchino squash. This, this stuff right here for those in the live stream. I did something with this last week that was just off the hook. And I'm like, why didn't I ever do that before? So we're going to talk about that. Um, we're going to talk about a very cool observation I've had with biochar so far. Very, very cool. I mean... Something that I expected, but not quite to the level that I've gotten it from. And it's, it seems like a small thing until you really think about it. And then we're going to have an answer question on use, uh, using or not using molasses, a.k.a. sugar, when making compost tea and my thoughts on that. And then I'm going to finish up kind of wrapping what we start with where we end up. Basically, living through cycles and mega cycles and what that's like and I've been meaning to work something into an episode of the show for a few weeks. When I was a teenager, I remember it was probably on PBS or something like that. We didn't exactly have a lot of channels back then, kiddos, right? Uh, there was a, a nature series that I watched, and the story was called The, the Grouse and the Goshawk. And as a, a kid that did an awful lot of gr grouse hunting in, in the mountains of Pennsylvania, I found it very interesting. And because I had I had hunted grouse for quite a number of years at this point, I'd actually seen the cycle. And it made a lot of sense to me. And I was going to talk about it as it relates to natural cycles, as in nature cycles, as in like a permaculture thing. But pattern recognition, I'm going to tell you the story of the grouse and the goshawk. And you see if you can see the pattern recognition that some would refer to as the fourth turning. I think that'll be interesting. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is the Self-Reliance Festival in Camden, Tennessee. Nicole Sosh and John Willis, they always do a great job with it. You're running out of time. It is the 25th and 26th, uh, so you're down to like a couple weeks out. You can get tickets, or if you go to my write-up that's right here on the screen, if you're in the uh, live stream or the video, you can come check it out, and we do actually now have for you virtual tickets as well, but it looks like I am on the wrong post, so I will fix that later on because that's not the one that we're supposed to be talking about today. Next up today is Paul Wheaton's next Kickstarter, and it's going to be the best one yet. Low Tech, Tech Labs, the movie. Uh, he's been doing this permaculture jamboree, permaculture skills jamboree now for a few years. And he had people document it on video. And now what they're looking for is the money to put it all together into a properly delivered item, the editing. And if you've ever done a video project of any size yourself, you know that all the work is in the editing. 
That's where it gets complicated and it takes time. So he has this new Kickstarter out. He's also great, got all these great goodies. I don't remember which day this week it's going to go live, but it's going to go live this very week. If you go and sign up now to get notified, you can sponsor it in the first 48 hours, first two days, and you get a whole bunch of free stuff for a dollar, for a stinking buck. And what you'll see is if you click on it in my uh, my write-up, this little window comes up. This is a private preview. That's because I get private preview for you guys. When you click Let's See It, you can dig into everything that it's going to be, and you can request. It looks like it's it's live. Well, that happened. No, I don't think it is. You can back this project after it is launched. That's right. So you're going to need to, when you get here, to request a reminder. It looks like that for me because I already got my reminder set up. But definitely you want to back this thing before your freebies go away on that $1 backing, and then you can decide if you want to do more with it. With that, let's go ahead and dig into our uh, Twitter polls from last week. I think this, without planning, what without any planning whatsoever, some of these poll questions fit today's episode so perfectly. It's kind of kind of like I might have known something was coming or something. I don't know. Maybe sometimes I do. First one, not so much. That's why we're starting out with it. I put them in a specific order here, and I think that order will make sense here in a second. What would you rather own? In this scenario, you have to keep it, and you can't sell it. I did that because people are always trying to – I don't know. You ask somebody to answer a poll, and they start trying to act like they got a genie that's going to grant them wishes, and they're trying to put in, like, little uh, clauses to prevent the genie from screwing them over. Just we're trying to get a feel for what people think here, and this is an interesting one to me. Anyway, um, you can have 100 acres of farmland. 4.6% said that. 1,000 wooded acres, 35.9%. Now, I also said in the, in the, in the right, uh, the text part of it, that the 100 acres and the 1,000 acres have no house. That's raw land. Then there was 50 acres with a house that got 33.2% of the vote and a house with two acres on a lake. That got 26% of the vote. And all in, what that means is the, the vast majority of people took one of the options that had a house. And I understand why. You can do a lot with a 1,000 wooded acres or a 100 acres of farmland. It's a lot of land. But building a house is expensive and more so than ever. And then you have to start asking questions like, well, is there power? You don't know, right? This is the point of these polls to make you think. You don't know how, how, what kind of power is available, right? What, what about water? What about a sewer system? 100 acres of farmland, is it surrounded by Monsanto farms? Like, is it some little island that got left behind? I mean, there's a lot of unknowns there. When you have a house, at least you have something to work with. I personally, in this situation, am very attracted to the 1,000 wooded acres. Because I, with 1,000 wooded acres, I've got a lot of material to build a house with. But my wife said 50 acres with a house, so that's probably what we would do. Because, well, she's the CEO in the end. Uh, then I asked, well, just a fun question, I thought. In your home, do you have pets? If so, which? Also, if you currently live where you can't have cats or dogs, answer as though you lived where you could. In other words, when you get out of an apartment, what will you have? Also, post pics if you want to below. Dogs, 46% of respondents said they had dogs. Uh, 11% said they had cats. 
32% said they had cats and dogs. That would be us. And I said, my soul is dead. No pets. 9.6%. There were a lot of people that were like, well, I can't have dogs or cats for whatever reason. Okay. Well, I, I tried to cover that. But they had like reptiles or livestock or something. So, okay. Cool. I get it. It was not an accusation or anything. Just trying to have some fun with it. Then this is where we turn the corner with these questions where it might be interesting to run all three of the next questions this week and see how the answers change. How long do you think we have before a full on real estate crash that is as bad or worse as 2008? Already started 28%. Six months, 27%. One year, 19%. More than a year, 24%. I think it depends. It depends. So obviously we know that in 08, summer of 08 into the fall was when everybody, oh my God, there's a real estate crash. But it depends on how you answer this question. It was very clear that it had started in 2007 when I got on the air before everybody believed it. First time I got on the air was June 08. I said it was there and nobody believed it. And a couple of months later, everybody's freaking out and jumping out of buildings. So my view is it has already started. Depending on how you answer the question, though, six months to about one year is probably about right before it becomes brain-splittingly obvious that we're there. Now it gets really interesting. Do you think the world will be a better place than it is today in 20 years? Or will society continue to decay for longer than that? Which below do you think is the most accurate view of 2043? Worse but leveling off. In other words, it'll have gotten worse, but it's kind of hit bottom at that point. 10% of people said that. Worse and continuing down the shitter. 45% of people say it'll be worse, but getting more uh, bad. Worse, but on the upswing. 20%. It will be better. 24%. The translation of that is basically about 25% of people say it'll be better. And about 75% of people say in one form or another, it will be worse. This question was a setup. I knew exactly what I was doing. And you might think that the answers are perplexing, but I'm actually very encouraged by the answers. And I think this is a good lead into what we have to talk about today. Do you think your life will be better, worse, or about the same in 10 years? 62% of people said it would be better. Worse, 26%. About the same, 11.9%. It's almost an exact reversal. So 20 years out, around 75, 76% of people say the world will be worse than it is today. But in 10 years, they think their life will be about the way it is today or better. Isn't that interesting? I think it's interesting. And I also think it's very indicative of the survival podcast audience. You know... This is actually validation that you guys have been listening to me, some of you for 15 years almost now. That's the whole point. Even if the world goes to shit, we can make our lives better. And I'm very glad we have that mental tone in this audience. There was almost the same, it's a little bit different, but a very close number of the same total votes in those two polls. They were one day after each other. They were in my Twitter audience. It's about as TSP-centric as that you're going to get out of this. 
And I'd like to know some of your thoughts. Put them in all caps and maybe I'll uh, mark some and come back to them. Why do you think that is? Why do you think so many people look at the world that we live in and say, oh, this place is going to be way more effed up 20 years from now? And uh, so it'll be halfway there to way more effed up 20 years from now. But halfway there, I'll be better off. Is it living a better life if times get tough or even if they don't? Is that what it is? That's interesting. Now, my thing is, can you keep your mindset that way when things start to go wrong? We're going to talk a little bit about Noster before we dig into the bank collapse stuff. But how many of you started really feeling a little bit different? Did any of you have the same kind of pit feeling in your stomach you did when the COVID started and they started to scare you on TV with counters when you started hearing about all of these um, all of these bank collapses starting to happen? There's been three, by the way. There was one at the end of the week, and by the time we got through the weekend, there was two more. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, and we'll come back to it in just a minute. Hunter says, a bank collapsed? Yep, a bank collapsed. Absolutely. Noster's not that confusing, Joe. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Somebody asked if that's a trombocino behind me on the wall next to the gun. Yes, it is. It's almost as long as the 357 rifle, isn't it? Um, yeah, we're going to talk about those today. I guess you missed the very intro where I actually picked it up and showed it to the audience. Anyway, before we dig into the bank collapse, I just want to say a few things about Noster. Yes, it can be confusing. I think a big part of what makes it confusing is you do a thing, and if you're using more than one app to play with it, maybe it doesn't show up on the other app right away. Not so much a post, but like getting my Aldi wallet connected to it. It's like, I think I did it, and it, it wouldn't show up that somebody could tip me. I went and tipped somebody else or zapped somebody else, and then all of a sudden mine showed up. It was almost like I had to go first to make the connection live or something. I don't know. It is a K-Bonk says it's a sandbox. It's ready to play with, and I think that's how you have to look at it. But um, I've been on Oster a whopping three hours right now, and I have already stacked quite a few thousand Satoshis. I made a comment on Twitter already. If Elon doesn't stop screwing around with uh, the shitcoin doggy coin uh, stuff and integrate lightning payments, this thing is going to kill everybody. It is confusing at first. It is kind of a pain in the ass to set up. That's why I delayed. I delayed for that and so I could play dumb for real last week when we did our episode on it. It didn't really take that much effort to get it going, though. It really didn't. And now I'm starting to see the beauty of what it really is in a whole new light. And I predict over the next couple of years, there are going to be countless ways that people will use Noster that will have nothing to do with looking like Twitter or will play with things that look like Twitter. And this is why it is kind of sad. And even though I've understood why they do it, so many people built platforms on shitcoins. Um, if you look at uh, Odyssey, I love what Odyssey's about. I really do. But they got their library token and whatever, and then they got sued by the SEC and all. Man, if you were to just take a video platform like Odyssey and integrate it with Noster and integrate it with other Noster things, 
so that when you put your video on Odyssey, it went to Noster and went to like your Twitter like applications or things like like I can just see this becoming absolutely dominant. I mean, 100% dominant as a way that people build out technology. It won't happen fast because right now getting set up is not hard. It's just very different than going to Twitter and going, okay, I'm going to put in a, a name and a password and boom. And now I have an account and I'll upload, but it actually isn't that much different. What, what, what makes it different? is you have this place where the information lives and then you have the app that displays the information and that's what makes it uncensorable because if app 1 were to you know censor you it still goes everywhere else anywhere it has a window into it and that is so radically different from the way that we think that sometimes it is hard see in hanging laundry says link to noster there, there kind of isn't one there is, but there isn't. You don't sign up for Noster. You generate a key, a public and a private key. I really recommend if you're confused by Noster, go listen to the episode from Thursday last week. There's a link to it in today's show notes. It will take some effort, but I think it's worth it. And you will find yourself at times going, why is it like this? It's because it's brand new. It's brand new. But think about the opportunity to stake your claim so early that most people can't even figure out what to do yet. And it will take, if I promise you, if you give it 30 minutes of concentrated effort, especially after listening to that show, you'll be on Nostra and you'll be able to use it. Now, if you don't have a lightning wallet yet, like wallet of Satoshi, or if you're not using Albi, now you got two steps, right? If you want to integrate, but if you just want to get Nostra up and running, you can do that in literal minutes. I just really like the idea. I'm going to highly recommend you get the Albi, get an account with Albi and the Albi extension for your browser and link that. But what you can't do if you do that is it won't link on your mobile version of the apps. And like I'm on Snort and Iris right now, and I may have to go ahead and tie it into uh, Wallet of Satoshi instead. We'll see. I'm just playing with it right now. What I like about what I like about using Albi is Albi maintains your private key for you and you never give it to Iris or anything else. Anyway, we got to let it go. We got way too much to talk about today. Uh, people pouring in in the live feed. I can see you guys coming in. Let's talk about the blood and guts you came for. Let's talk about the bank collapses. Now, a lot of you knowing me are probably like, I know what he's going to do. He's going to break this down and explain exactly what happened. I'm not because we don't know. There's some bullshit in this. There's, I don't know the exact answer to exactly what's going on here, but it, I do know this. The response is highly coordinated between the media and the government, highly coordinated. And I'm going to show you just how coordinated here in just a second. It is not as simple as, oh, well, this bank had a problem and people heard about it and everybody wanted their money and then the regulators had to step in and close it down so the bank run wouldn't go catastrophic. It's not that simple. There's not that, there's not that big a reason for these banks to be imploding. It looks manufactured to me. Like some people would use the term false flag. I don't know that that's the right term, though. I think it's more contrived, 
or intentional than false flag. Like you can make a thing happen in plain sight like this and still have it hard to figure out, especially if you time it so it hits right at the end of a week and through a weekend. You know, like if you actually gamed it out in advance. So maybe just contrived is the right word for it. But I'm starting to notice some things that really tip tip the hat to this. So check this out. Just doing some basic research, and that might be hard to read on your screen there, but I'll tell you what it says if you can't read it, or if you're just listening, I'll tell you what it says. I went on YouTube this morning, and I searched for, using the filter, stuff being posted in the last hour, you know, the most recent information, and I just searched for a simple term, bank collapse. And what you're looking at is a screenshot posted at the top of the search results, very much like a visit the CDC for full information about COVID type notice on YouTube, right? We all know they did this. It says, developing news, Biden vows to hold those responsible for the Silicon Valley bank failure fully accountable. Now, let me tell you who's responsible for this. The Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen, et cetera, at all. That's who's responsible. He would have to hold his own people, his own appointed people responsible. They did this. Before we go into that, though, let's think about what's going on here. What you have is a coordinated connection, surprise, surprise, between the government and a social media platform like YouTube. And I'm sure this is going to exist elsewhere. Probably not on the Bird app, though, eh? I don't think Elon's going to play balls with play balls play ball with this stuff. Tell me, this doesn't just smack of you know you put something up about COVID and it says visit the seat. It doesn't it feel the same way when you see a pattern? Do not ignore it. Now, there's another thing. By the way, these screenshots are from uh, uh, my Noster uh, posting as well. Thomas Massey said over the weekend, I just got off a Zoom meeting with Fed, Treasury, FDIC, House, and Senate. A Democrat senator essentially asked whether there was a program in place to censor information on social media that could lead to a run on the banks. Let me read that again. A Democrat senator asked whether there was a program in place to censor information on social media that could lead to a run on the banks. Given this instantaneous, you know, COVID-like visit the CDC warning that popped up on YouTube when I made a simple search today, you would you would think the answer to that just might be, oh, hell yeah, there is. Like, we've actually exercised it. And wouldn't this be the first place the, a Congress clown would go, right? Well, clearly we got this shit in place. We better use it right now. And this will be done under the auspices of protecting you because you're too stupid without them to help you. Now, we're back to the government and the media is in lockstep on this. Right now, every media outlet, including Fox News, is essentially saying the same thing. If you are a depositor with less than a quarter million dollars in your bank, you don't have to worry about it because you got FDIC. Now, the problem is the sheer volume of deposits 
It is impossible for FDIC to cover everybody. The other problem is they're not totally wrong. I loathe saying that about government, the Federal Reserve, the Biden administration, or the media. But they're not totally wrong. The banks are and always have been a scam. They do not have your money. They made a Christmas movie about it years ago, back when money was at least hard money. They do not have your money. Your money is not in the bank. It's loaned out. It's loaned out. They've, they've essentially even removed the p- pathetic 10% reserve requirement. Any bank, especially this, and the smaller the bank, the more true this is. If even 20, 25% of depositors were to go and demand that they, they remove their money from the bank. And I want to be clear about this. It is not just the person who's obviously not that bright, by the way, who physically goes to the bank and demands cash. I'm talking about if you were in one of these banks, the smartest thing you could have done if you were concerned about that bank is you should always have at least two bank accounts. And before this really went crazy, wire transferred the money from bank A to bank B that was more secure. Going down and yelling at a teller won't accomplish anything. But even if it is an electronic transfer bank run, which is where most of this came from, they like to show you pictures of dumb people going, let me in, as though the person in there can actually do anything. Because people are stupid. We know this. But if 25% of just about any bank withdrew all their money in one day, that bank would collapse. That bank would collapse. Now, what's exasperating this? Remember I said they did it? Let me tell you what exasperates this. When banks have a lot of leverage, and the bank is a leverage game, so they all do, and you jack up rates, you think, well, that makes the bankers a lot of money. It makes the big banks a lot of money. It puts pressure on the leverage of the smaller banks, and the big fish begin consuming the small fish. Now, let me tell you something that is going on here. These banks are going to be gulped up by people like J.P. Morgan. Jamie Dimon is going to become even richer from this. What the government is saying is it's not a bailout. It's not a bailout. Because we're not bailing out the bank owners, the CEOs, the board of directors, or the shareholders. If you had stock... In uh, Silicon Valley Bank, you're F'd in the A twice sideways. Right now, anyway, that appears to be true. Now, don't think that any of these people had all their shit there, including the people directly employed by the CEO. Don't, don't think that they're not hooked into the other banks, right? It's not a bailout. It's a buyout, right? They're also saying the following. It's not taxpayer money. And it's not even using the inflation tax, though they're going to do that. What they're saying is there's a slush fund of money. Like we learned from this before. So all the mega trillionaires on Wall Street have a slush fund in case this happens again. That money will be used to absorb these banks into larger banks. So don't worry about it. It's fine. It feels like Baghdad, a Baghdad Bob moment to me, though. Anybody, you guys, any you guys remember Baghdad Bob? There are no tanks in Baghdad. I promise you, the Americans are not here like the M1s are like rolling behind them. Like it's kind of like that is how this feels to me. But that's the story they're telling you. Now, how much money's in that slush fund? 
We don't know. Is the slush fund public? No. Will you release the information? Who put what in? No. We have to protect them. From what? Being the white knight and being recognized as someone that fixed it? Is there nothing in it for them? How does this work? Is the slush fund actually the mega banks borrowed money from the Federal Reserve and put it in the slush fund? How does this work? Oh, you're screwed. Joan Wald says, I have some USDC on Coinbase. How screwed am I? Pretty screwed. Let's talk about that. So USDC is a crypto coin. It is a stable coin. That means it is pegged to the US dollar. And I want to pull up, and I'm not going to do it on the screen. I'm just going to make sure that I'm right. I haven't looked at it today. It was, oh, it's at a dollar. It's, it's repegged. They they pegged the crap out of it, man. They pegged it hard. So it's back to a buck. I'm not sure how that worked out. And I actually thought about buying some last week because I figured this would happen. It was so a a stable coin was trading at about 80 cents over the weekend. And Coinbase locked all the accounts and wouldn't let you, because Walt's saying switch it to BTC, they wouldn't let you convert it, withdraw it, or use it over the weekend. How many times can Jack Spirico say the word self-custody to you? Even if you won't listen to him and basically stick to Bitcoin, even if you won't listen, I don't care what you have self-custody. Do not hold anything that's crypto on an exchange. There is no reason to do so. No, don't do it. So they locked accounts and said you can't withdraw it or exchange it. I don't know if they've changed that yet. Someone's getting pegged. You're right, Carl. Someone's getting pegged. So the reason that it became a problem is that USDC did have the cash. They had the cash. We'll get to that, K-Bonk, right? Because Tether stayed pegged because they weren't using Silicon Valley Bank. USDC, the people behind that stable coin, had over $2 billion of deposits at Silicon Valley Bank. Ooh. And that's where this starts to get interesting. Space Girl says, is this the first step toward a digital currency? Maybe it starts to get interesting. Here's the interesting thing. First of all, if you have a deposit of 2.3 or $2.6 billion, whatever it was, when you start using the word billion, you're not covered by FDIC. You got a quarter million dollars worth of insurance and $2 billion worth of money that's gone. The Fed stepped in and guaranteed no depositors will lose their money, even though we said it is only a quarter million dollars with FDIC. It's not a bailout. What they said is not a bailout, a change in policy. Yes. They're starting to play word doctor with this. So what's probably happened is based on the guarantee by the government and the Fed and the member banks and the slush fund, that eventually USDC will be made hold on their $2 billion. Another bank has issued them enough of a line of credit to cover the spread. That's probably, I'm not saying that's what happened, but it's what I said would be likely to happen for most of these big companies. Silicon Valley Bank is the second, I think the second largest bank to collapse in the United States since the Great Recession, including the Great Recession. It's either the second or third. It's It's a bank that most Americans have never heard of, but it's big. And a lot of people were using it. But a lot of people that were using it 
were in the crypto space, including things like stable coins and exchanges. Now, this doesn't really affect Bitcoin. What it affects is DeFi platforms, yield farming operations, all that shit that you're like, Jack, it's guaranteed money. I don't know why you won't do a show on yield farming because I don't want to be a responsible per party and you losing your ass. Because in DeFi, in the words of Yakov Smirnov, the yield is you. You are the yield. That's, that's where the yield comes from, the next person being willing to play the game. And so it might interest you to know that not only was Silicon Valley Bank a very friendly toward crypto bank, the other two banks that collapsed also were. In December of last year, Silicon Valley Bank came out and said, we have posted record profits. No shit. Look it up. Put in Silicon Valley Bank record profits in Google, Brave, whatever, right? And you will find, I'm not lying to you, I did not make that up. They posted record profits in 2022. Here we are, second week of March, <clears throat> collapsed. The other two banks were also crypto-friendly banks. Now, the interesting thing is, Silicon Valley Bank had begun to retract itself from the crypto space right at the end of 2022, which was, quote-unquote, painful for them. Isn't this interesting? Isn't this really interesting? You notice how what what happened to Bitcoin when this happened? Most of the other financial crises that have happened before, Bitcoin's supposed to be this edge against financial crisis. The financial crisis comes and Bitcoin drops. Not happening this time. Bitcoin went through the roof while this has been going on. Now, there's another piece to this that if you don't follow the right people and you don't pay attention to little side comments you might not recognize the ceo of swan bitcoin said we've been getting clobbered over the weekend with companies putting company assets into bitcoin interesting Interesting, isn't it? Yep. Corey over at Swan said, we've been burning the middle night oil all through the weekend with companies seeking some safe haven in Bitcoin. And that's probably where the most movement came from. Because when you start looking at small, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's probably not JP Morgan. Yeah, right. It's probably not BlackRock. It's probably not mega corporations, but when you start talking about mid-sized, even small-sized institutional money, you're putting a hell of a lot of pressure on a finitely limited asset. So Walt says, what's the big ploy here? I, or big play here? I don't know. I'm just telling you what I do know. And I think that's what makes this very interesting, that I usually have the answers and I don't here. But I'm telling you all the pieces and parts that I'm working on in my head, trying to figure out what these assholes are really up to. In my opinion, once again, much like the COVIDs, we have the media and the government in lockstep with each other. It is important. I'm starting to see people who are supposed to be free speech advocates. Tell me if this sounds familiar. I'm as much for free speech as anything. But... Causing a panic bank run is bad for everybody. 
There is limits to free speech. This is like yelling fire in a crowded, crowded theater. Now, I already have been blocked by one of these free speech advocates, and I asked a simple question, and I got blocked. Anybody want to try to guess what that question was? He said it's like yelling fire in a crowded theater. I asked a question, zero response, instantly blocked. Anybody want to guess what that question is? I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it in just a second to give you guys a chance to answer the question. Use all caps if you do, because I'm alone today. But the run doesn't really make sense unless somebody was a rat. And I don't mean a bad person. I mean a rat, like somebody that rats you out. There had to be leaks that caused this. And there it is. Thomas Reisner got it. That was exactly what I asked him. What if the theater is on fire? What should I do then? Your account has been blocked. <laughs> yep, there they all, everybody's caught up to it now, right? Yeah, what if there is a fire? So I can't remember the guy's name. Blocked you, right? Free speech advocate. Well, how wouldn't you just wouldn't you just answer that question if it was you? Well, in that case, then maybe you should, but maybe that's not what's going on here. How do you know there's a fire? No, just blocked. I don't like this question. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Washerman Schultz in the House hearings last week? I'm reclaiming my time. Talking to Matt Tabby, right? Right? I'm reclaiming my time. My time is valuable. They drag this guy before them. They ask him a question. The second he starts answering the question, they shut him up because they don't like the answer and say that their time is more valuable than his. They drug him into Congress, but their time is more valuable than him. Okay. See, this is all starting to just – the pieces are fitting together too perfectly in the pattern for this to be an accident, for this to be a whoopsie. Biden comes out and declares, your money's safe. How about the virus is not airborne? Experts agree your money is safe. You don't have to worry about your money, right? Just listen to the crescendo of experts and monetary policy experts. It's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to see here. It will all be fine. And the funny thing is, I think... That in a sense, in general, it will be fine because I think they will plug the hole. And I think they had every intention to plug the hole before they exposed the hole for you to see. This is, you know, when you go to a magician and he's about to do some shit, right? He's about to pull some BS and make like a tiger climb out of his pants or something. And they bring this smoking hot chick out, right? That even the other women in the audience are like, whoa, and you look at her for half a second and the tiger pops out of his drawers, right? And you're like, how'd that happen? I feel this is that moment. This is the pretty girl dancing to the music, pretending to be hypnotized, to hypnotize you so you don't pay attention to when the rabbit comes out of the hat or the tiger out of the, the, the crotch. Something is going on here, and it's not as simple. Because it doesn't make sense that it all happened like this. And when they ask the experts, well, do bank runs really happen this fast? Oh, well, Tom, they always happen very fast. That's just how it is. What about the other two banks? Do you know one of them? It wasn't even a run. 
The government just chose to close the bank over the weekend. Huh? They said that the bank wouldn't be able to handle a run, so they closed it preempt a preemptive strike. Oh, this is just it's so familiar. It's like all the bullshit of the past 30 years, and now they took the playbook developed in the last 30 years, and they're using it right now, and they're using all of it. It stinks. It stinks. And they keep saying there's no contagion. Don't worry. There's no contagion. Uh, banks don't work that way. Every bank is connected to every other bank within the United States banking system. And fucked within the global system, but let's just stick to the U.S. banking system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl says it's a wonderful life. No, see, your money's not here. See, it's in Bill's barn. Yeah, that was back then. Now it's 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 in the hands of the oligarchs. That's where it is. What started the run on Thursday? Well, supposedly people just figured out that their money was at risk, and they all went to take their money out at the same time. That's the that's the story. Space Girl, do you believe that? Because I don't. I believe that big money started moving behind the scenes and somebody ratted it out. By the way, the CEO sold a bunch of stock in advance the end of last year, pocketed that money. Yeah. The rat jumps off the ship, right? Then maybe the rat rats. I wonder, it'd be interesting to know who has short positions in that bank before this happened. You want to bet Mr. Diamonds, boys? You want to bet? I don't know this. I'm just speculating. And it's always multiple degrees of separation. But back to the degrees of separation, every bank's connected to every other bank. You know the whole thing, six degrees from Kevin Bacon, you play the game, and you, you name an actor. You say the actor was in this movie with this actor who was in this movie, who was in this movie with Kevin Bacon. You try within six degrees to connect it to Kevin Bacon. Well, you can do that with almost any well-known actor in Hollywood and, and end up with the same thing. Why Kevin Bacon became the guy, I don't know. I don't know who started it. But you don't have to go six degrees to connect regional bank Z to Jamie Diamond. You don't. It's all interconnected. Claiming there's no contagion if it's real, unless it's completely contrived and manufactured, and even then it can get out of control. The Frankenstein monster goes on the loose, right? Claiming that is like saying there's a computer virus. We don't know where it came from. We can't scan for it yet. But it's isolated on three computers that are connected to the Internet, and you don't have to worry about it. It's fine. It's not on your hard drive to be activated later. It's okay. Do you, would you believe that? Would you believe that? We know it's a virus. We know what it looks like when it hits. Right? It's a computer virus. Once it goes active on your hard drive, it deletes your it deletes all of your contacts in your email program, whatever it does, whatever it does. It's only shown up in three places. We looked at it and we determined that it was there for quite a while before it activated. But it's isolated and there's no contagion. Wouldn't you just go bullshit? K-Bonk says Ukraine. I think there's something connected to that, too. But I won't speculate because I'm not exactly sure. I'm not. There's definitely a lot of money that went out the window to Ukraine, and maybe not all of it went through the window that we all watched. Maybe there's more. I don't know. I don't know. But every bank is connected. Now, there was something called Operation Choke Point. 
And it was where a lot of banks stopped letting people connect their bank accounts to crypto services and vice versa, right? So, like, you couldn't connect your bank and make deposits. Even if you did KYC and everything, there was other things that were done to try to choke off crypto as an option. This could, in some way, become Operation Choke Point 2.0. I think the, the SEC is signaling that the days of shitcoin partying are about to be over in some form, shape, or fashion, and probably multiple ways. This is why I've been so heavy on get your ass on Bitcoin at this point. If you want to hold some of these other things and you think that they have long-term potential or whatever, you want to pick a few, you better see that as your risk capital of your risk capital of your risk capital. Because there's never been a bigger telegraph that it's coming than the SEC has been sending on the shitcoinery. The fact that these three banks were all crypto-friendly and one directly tied to one of the biggest stablecoin systems out there is not it's it's too convenient for it to be a coincidence. Maybe that's a new maybe that's a new phrase we should start saying too convenient to be a coincidence. So I don't know what that means, but I know there's something to it. And I know you better be damn careful right now and paying attention to what's going on. And I think there's a lot of distraction going on right now. And I'm going to move completely off this now. And I want to talk about something that I, I have not seen in my lifetime as an adult. I have never seen a unanimous vote of the House and the Senate. Okay. On something that previously was extremely partisan. Extremely partisan. So the whole theory, let's not even say whether it's true or not, the whole theory about COVID origin and having something to do with Wuhan and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, etc., was very partisan. Republicans, by and large, said, I think there's something here. And Democrats said, you are a conspiracy theorist, tin hat, domestic terrorist for even suggesting it. For even suggesting that we should look at a laboratory doing COVID research in the city where COVID originated. That's crazy. That is what it is. We all know it happened. We all watched it for three years. Turn around and the most divided, I would say in my lifetime for sure, I think maybe you go back to the Civil War, it's, it's not the case, right? They would be, you'd say it was more divided. I have never seen the United States House of Representatives, let's put the Senate on the shelf, never saw the House of Representatives more clearly divided, more partisan than right now this minute. They take one of the most partisan issues of the last three years, and they all of a sudden go, yay, yay, yay everybody votes yes. Wasserman Schultz, one of the biggest deceitful lying sacks of crap on the planet, votes yes. Soup, this total socialist AOC, yes. What the F is going on? Now, this is what's interesting. Biden gets a beyond supermajority bill on his desk. All in from the Senate. All in from the House. The response of the White House is, I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet. 
What do you mean you haven't decided what you're going to do yet? How many bills go to the president with a 100% I vote? How many? I don't know. It would be interesting because I do have like the, the largest research um, tank out there to find out. Has that ever happened before? Has the has the Congress and the Senate sent something so overwhelming to a president who then said, I don't know what I'm going to do with it? And I understand that Biden might say it because he doesn't know where he is. Right. China like in China, this may come into China. Right. Like because if then they can gin up hysteria, look what they did. But wouldn't you think. Wouldn't you think that the way you would do that is you at least have some supposed opposition unless it's good. So either it's going to be I think it's going to be one of two things when it comes out. Nothing. N nothing. Like nothing new. Everybody stays in their camp and the Dems say we agreed to release it because there's nothing to see. Or it's going to be really bad. Really bad. And then nobody wanted to be the person that knew how bad it was and voted against it. But it's for the timing is suspicious. The timing matching up the, the, with the Tucker drop. With the bank collapse, when you start, again, too convenient to be coincidental. And the second I saw this, it was right before the rest of the banking meltdown. We just had uh, Silicon Valley at this point. I'm like, something's, this is, the, my bullshit detectors, detector is at 100 plus right now. The needle is broken. It snapped against the 100% the, the side. Like, something isn't right. And I just, I've never seen this before. Have you? You guys in the lot, has anybody ever seen this? A partisan issue swing that hard, that fast. Something is about to drop. Now, what are the alternatives here? What can Biden do? There's a couple ways this can go down. If Biden does nothing for 10 days and Congress is in session, it passes without his signature. If he signs it, it passes. Those are two options. He can veto it. If he actually stamps it, veto, sends it back. Now you need a two-thirds vote to override. Do you think that some of the people might change their mind? That's hard to do with something this overwhelming. I, I, I don't... I, I usually have answers for you. What I have is a complete, full-on red alert. Wah, wah, danger, Will Robinson. Danger, Will Robinson. What's the danger, robot? Unable to determine at this time. This is, this is unprecedented. And it's while the country is in a complete shift economically, demographically. States are really starting to think about asserting their rights. We're closer, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but we're closer to a convention of the states than we've probably been ever in, in recent times, in, in, in anybody that's alive. And that's where I want to transition to next. Yes, I'm transitioning. <laughs> the greater Idaho movement. So let me get up the map. That's the most important part of this screen, and I'll bring it on screen for you. 
So there's a whole group of counties in eastern Oregon that are fed up with what's going on in Portland and Portland controlling the whole state. This is true of most blue states. The, the, these these folks are, are just pissed off and, and tired of having somebody else tell them what to do. And what you're seeing is an outline, if the project went through, of what greater Idaho would look like. So basically, all of these eastern counties are just, they're voting, and a bunch of them passed. There's another one about to go. And with a few pockets that have not voted yet, it's pretty continuous all the way up to that yellow line on the western border there with Oregon. And what they're saying is we want a middle ground. We don't want to leave the union. We're not a bunch of radicals. We just want to live our life not bothered by the people who are crazy, the people who are taking our money and creating UBI pro, uh, programs to give money to drug addicts that live on the street. We don't want to do that anyway. Very reasonable position to have. But here's what has to happen. It has to get approved by the United States Congress. Now, they just voted unanimously to release the origins information. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be unanimous. No way in hell. No way in hell. Now, the timing is interesting in doing this, because right now, if you have any chance of getting this approved, this would be the only way you would be able to do it. This would be the only way you'd be able to do it, and I'll tell you why. And it's why I don't think this is the way going forward. If they did what I'm going to suggest next instead, it would change the balance of the United States Senate, which is why I think they should do it. But right now, there's no way it would get done because the Dems control the Senate. And the Republicans have a very thin majority and a bunch of spineless bastards in the House, right? So they don't have the guts to do it, and they don't have the votes in the Senate to do it. Because for it to work the way they're doing, it has to be approved by Washington, no matter what anybody locally says. The problem with this, let's say it works. Let's say it goes through. And everybody wants to root for freedom. Everybody wants, especially at least everybody in our orbit wants to root for freedom. And you got to feel bad for these people in eastern Oregon. You really don't. And there's some people in Idaho, you know, what? I'm joking in our state and messing it up. These are not the people that are going to mess it up. Look at an electoral map of where these people have voted for 40 years. And you can see these are not the people you have to worry about. Like you have way more to worry about from, from, from like people in your own capital than you do from these people. That's not the problem. The problem is, yeah, Carl, you're asking the question and you're not hearing what I said because you're making my point. He says, how does it change the balance? Oregon stays blue, Idaho stays red. That's my point. This doesn't do anything. If they did what I'm going to suggest, then it would. And what I'm suggesting is when a state is in this position, and, it, and it's, it's just like we are done, it would be just as hard to have that entity break off and pull a West Virginia. Now you actually change something. Now you actually make something different. Because all that happens here is the people in eastern Oregon become part of Washington, or Idaho, and they become more free. 
and the people in eastern Oregon or western Oregon that are that are like trapped become more enslaved and they really need to move. But it doesn't change anything at the federal level where the where the biggest problems are because we already have freedom of movement in the republic. But if the if the entities that are tired of the shit said we're going to form our own state it's maybe a little harder sell but it makes a lot more sense now here's here's the the albatross in the room i guess the thing almost nobody knows there is this myth he said kind of dead rider is saying kind of like the free state of jefferson state movement in northern california exactly that does more for liberty because this new entity is a state with full senatorial representation in Washington, D.C., which is why it would be fought harder. Right. The House of Republicans wouldn't matter, would it? Not in their instance, Thomas. No, because there's still the same number of red votes in the House. Yeah. It, you get, I guess Idaho would get greater congressional representation. That's about all it would do. But if you break off completely and form your own new state, then you get senators. Now, there is one state that can do this without congressional approval. And it's the genesis of a myth that is a myth. We've talked about the Texas national movement on this show. Yeah. We've talked about the fact that Texas can secede. There's two ways people make that statement. One is accurate and one is inaccurate. The accurate one is we have the resources necessary to sustain ourselves as a nation. We have our own electrical grid. We have the seaports. We have oil refining capacity. We have fossil fuels. We have agriculture. We have international trade. We're one of the largest economies in the world. We have like it's the ninth largest military in the world at combined Texas Guard services. Right. We can be a nation. That claim is true. The other claim is Texas has this clause when they join the union that gives them the ability to secede anytime they want. I wish that were true, friends and neighbors. It's not. We would have to secede and give a middle finger to the federal government and see what happened. We'd have to fight for it like any other state would. We just have resources that make it more possible. They make it entirely doable. Do you want to know what the, the genesis of this myth is? It's a very interesting myth. It is not without risk. We do have a clause in our agreement with the union to join the union as a state. We have carte blanche at any time the right to split into up to five states with no approval necessary from the United States government. If you think I'm talking about my ass, look it up. We could take a chunk of West Texas and call it, I don't know, Western Texas. And there's nothing the federal government can do to stop it. It is completely legal. It is completely constitutional. It is per our agreement. Now, you end up in a Texas that's not quite so heavily red, though, and you give up those guaranteed red votes, do you lose the state to the Democrats? I don't know. I don't know. But it is something that we have the ability to do anytime we want. The, the way that could be held in the back pocket, though, is what if Texas ever flips blue? What if Texas ever flips blue? Do you think the whole rest of the state might just say, yeah, we're not doing that because we can, because we can. That's just something to think about. The United States government 
has an agreement with the state of Texas that Texas can divide itself up into about five states. Right now, it doesn't it doesn't look like that would be likely, but there are ways that that could occur. So let's turn the page here. Let's talk about things that we can do in our own lives. Let's talk about the fact that this is actually a time to be very empowered, to be very optimistic. Let's talk about things that are good for us, that we can do to make our lives better. And uh, we'll start off with producing our own food. Let's try to go back to where we started during the polls, where about 75% of you guys said, I expect the country to be in worse shape in 20 years but I expect my life to be better in 10. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's start off with something really simple. That Trombuchino squash that's back there by the, by the rifle, second amendment squash, right? I mean, it is kind of tactical, isn't it? I mean, don't you think you could club the hell out of somebody? One of the, the reality though, is they're not very strong in the neck if you did that. But I discovered something that I had not, discovered yet with that squash this weekend how damn good it is when you simply fry it hard so this i'm about to bring up on the screen here is something that i made spur of the moment last week i basically made a hash a bacon hash with over easy duck eggs on it and it was really simple. If you follow the link in the show notes today, which will go live about an hour, I give the whole procedure. But uh, it's basically squash, bacon, some seasoning, and some eggs. And that that's really about it. Really, really simple. The thing that I did, though, and it's, it's important to understand, this is why I recommend this squash so much, is this whole neck from here down is all solid vegetable meat, Right. There is no seeds until you get down here to the bulb. And the honest to God truth is I cut that off and I take the bulb and I cut it in a few pieces, take seeds out if I want to save seeds from a particular squash, and I give this to the birds because this is so much easier to deal with. You peel this, you cube it up, you fry it. Well, I fried it in something I've never fried it in before, Wagyu beef tallow. And I brought the, uh, the carbon steel skillet up to – where it just began to hit the smoke point and I threw it in there. And if you ate it and you didn't know what it was, you'd say, that's not a typical potato, but it's some kind of a potato. It's very low carb for what it is. I wouldn't call it ultra low carb. I had to base it on butternut, but it, uh, a cup of it has about 14, call it 15 grams total carbs in butternut. I know this is lower because of how it tastes. And you don't need a cup of it. I mean, I probably used a cup of it and I split it in half, right? So, you know, you're using like a half a cup fresh and you're down to maybe a quarter cup when you it does shrink. And then what I did is I cooked it and then threw the bacon in with it and some seasonings and stuff like that. And I took my spatula and I didn't mash it like mashed potatoes. I just kind of smashed it a little bit like you do a hash gave it a good final brown, wilted some arugula into it, put the eggs over top of it. Guys, if you don't grow these this year, I don't know what's wrong with you. One of the most versatile plants I've ever grown. And it, it, guys, there's never been a time that we need to do more with producing food than right now. If we're going, where can you get seeds, Hector? Hector, you can get seeds about anywhere. I will put a link in the show notes today, but it's called Tromboncino is the squash. I'll put a couple different sources for you in the show notes today. 
Um, I've definitely talked about it before. And the beauty of it is that thing, when it starts growing, is light green. It tastes like the best zucchini you'll ever eat. And at that point, you can eat the seeds, everything like you do a zucchini. You let it keep growing. It gets really big. It starts to turn bright orange. It becomes a winter squash. It's dual purpose. And it's very resistant to squash vine borers and squash bugs. It's not immune, but it's very, very resistant. A very tough vine. The borers don't really like it that much. Uh, I'm going to also be hitting any squash I grow this year with um, liquid smoke, wood vinegar, uh, diluted in water, sprayed because it's supposed to be very pest deterrent. I've never tried it before. Something else to come out of the research on biochar. But we need to decentralize everything. That's why I love Noster. We're going to talk about biochar in a minute, too. It's why I love biochar. These are decentralized technologies. A garden, you know, I don't really thought about this. A garden, a garden is a decentralized technology. Your garden is not linked to the commercial food system, is it? Your garden isn't easily regulated, is it? I mean, honestly, this is, remember, like, was it like 12 years ago, there was this stupid hysteria drummed up by people like Alex Jones? They're going to outlaw gardens with the Food Safety Modernization Act. Oh! No, they weren't. I told you they weren't at the time. But even if they did, like those of you that have gardens, like if the federal government said we are outlawing backyard gardens, what would you do? I would plant more. You go, that's not a garden. It's a endangered species habitat protection planting, right? They're not going to do it, but it's a ridiculous thing any way that you could. It is as decentralized as it gets. Right. It's as decentralized as it gets. And it is something that benefits most directly the person who does the most work for it. So if I plant a garden, there may be some auxiliary benefit that helps out my neighbors in some way, even if I don't give it to them. Okay, maybe I'm putting less personal pressure on the local food system they rely on or the national food system they rely on because I'm eating less from it. There might be some ancillary benefit, but there's no question the person that maintains a beautiful garden gets the most benefit out of it. The person that makes their own biochar gets the most benefit out of that biochar. The person that self-custodies their Bitcoin it's the most benefit out of those sats. It's the same but different. And in the words of Tommy Chong, these are all decentralized technologies. And now is the time to start understanding the, one of the greatest resources you have is your backyard. And if you don't have a backyard, you need to find a backyard. Somebody else's backyard, community garden project with your church. I don't care what. There's no more time for this. Well, I don't want a garden, Jack, because when the zombies come, they'll steal my tomatoes. Shut up. Just say you don't want a garden. Go do something else. Then. But if you eat, and most of us do, and you ignore food production when you can do it right there. I'm watching Future Food walk on my bar right now. He's moving himself close to the freezer right now because one of my roosters is walking on my outdoor, outdoor kitchen bar. He's begging for the crock pot. It will probably happen Saturday. I'm going to do a rooster purge again. And he's definitely, he's on the list of purge roosters for that walk right there. That's food. And there's other things that we need to do. And the biochar thing, I'm not going to stop talking about. I got two great interviews coming up on it. 
Um, I've been talking to people about it that are like, well, it's for certain climates. I don't care about it. I don't need it. I was talking to somebody on YouTube in the comments today, and I completely agreed with their viewpoint. And it just happened to mesh with what I wanted to tell you about today. Little simple little thing. That's a big. A lot of times, simple things are big things. Water retention. And I told this guy, I completely agree with you, right? And from now on, my response to people that say they don't care about biochar, if you're not growing food, okay, I get it. Yeah. But if you are a gardener, a farmer, whatever you tell me you don't care about biochar, you just said you don't care about water. A farmer that doesn't care about water. Uh, I, I guess it rains every day where you are or something. I don't know. It must be nice. Here's what I did so far this year. I have my seed starting system running. It was a video out last week. Kind of showed it. My grandson shot the video. And um, I did not automate watering from the bottom this year. I actually robbed that pump. It's somewhere else. And I didn't feel like rebuilding it. And I said, I'll just manually water this year because I'm doing something so drastically different. I want to know the effect. So I'm watering my plants with a uh, spray mister. So I have a little one and a half gallon pump mister that I use for spraying, like for foliar feeding and stuff like that. Plain water in it. And I just water and I'm using solo cups as my starting cups. And I just water with a little mist, nice little gentle mist, water all the plants. Takes 10 minutes to do. In the past, if I didn't put in some sort of automation to water my plants, I had to, on average, water at least once a day and many times twice a day. We've all done this. You water your starts. You walk away. You come back that evening, and you look, and it's just starting to dry out already. You can see the top drying out. I'm going three days between watering. 15% of the starting media is biochar, and I'm going three days between watering, and it doesn't really need it on day three. I've never had that happen. Sitting below grow lights that are on a timer that are on for 12 hours a day, beating down, and you guys saw the video, some of you, I'm maybe two inches above the surface with the lights and three days without drying it out. And then when I water it, I'm misting it for about 15 seconds each cup with the little Mr. Wand. Okay. I want you to really think about that. What does that mean when you build up your wicking beds with it? When you build up your container guards with it? Those are your easy spots to hit first. Heavily inoculated so you have no nutrient robbing worries. And you get 15, 20, 30% biochar into those smaller container gardens and wicking beds. It means water security. It means water security. Over time, you integrate it until like maybe you say the first six inches of your soil in your garden is 10, 15% biochar over a few years. You have water security. The more I dig into this ancient technology that's been rediscovered, the more I realize all of the stuff that it does for biology is wonderful, but there's a million other benefits. I just got an email. I, I'm hesitant to say this because it's one person emailing me. And there is such a thing as a placebo effect. But one of our customers for duck eggs and a listener of the show emailed me this morning and said when he adds biochar to his food, it's almost immediate that he has a lower blood pressure. I have no idea about that. I have no idea about that, and I have no idea if that's replicatable. Well, who the hell knows? I know when I feed it to my animals, 
that the duck house where they crap stinks less. I know that their feed efficiency is anywhere between 15 to 20 percent higher. It's a decentralized technology. It's a decentralized technology. And the, the big biochar operations, their quality is shit compared to small, close to the source, decentralized, even commercial, commercial decentralized biochar operations. And we need to start thinking this way. How do I take all the things that are available to me, stop ignoring them, stop making excuses? And how do we create so much resiliency that we can we can dance while the fiddler plays in Rome Burns? Because you know the fiddler's gonna play. And you know Rome is going to burn. That's why a full 75% of you said the world will be a worse place in 20 years. If I had asked you that question 20 years ago, that would have been completely flipped. The average American has always been an optimist. Even in the hardest times, if you had gone back to 1938 in the middle of the Great Depression and said, do you think the world will be a better place in 20 years? The vast majority of Americans, the kid with dirt on his face and no shoes would have said yes. For the first time in my adult life, the answers become from the majority of people, no. But this audience... So would your life be better or worse in the future? The majority say better. Because we're beginning to really grasp the power that we have. We have our own money. We have our own food. We have our own value networks, our own means of communication. And it is not going to all be easy. Don't misunderstand me. Also had a question on making compost tea. Use sugar or not? Experts differ. Michael Whitman says use sugar. Matt Powers says Michael Whitman's a genius, but don't use sugar. Elaine Ingham, the most advanced soil scientist we know, says don't use sugar. Other people say use sugar. Do what you want, but the microbes eat sugar. And if you give them some sugar, you get more microbes. The, the, I'll tell you why people say not to use sugar when you're making compost tea to inoculate biochar, your soil, whatever. They say not to do it because if you have anaerobes in your compost, they really like sugar and they have a party with it and you're multiplying your bad guys. That's the big reason not to. If you pump enough air into it, you ain't going to have that problem. That's my opinion. I've done it both ways. And all I can say is my personal results have been better. And I think that we all have to be at peace with we don't know the perfect way to do everything. I don't care who you are. So that 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 that's I just wanted to answer that question because it was asked a bunch of times in the past couple of weeks, one way or another real quick on that. So I want to finish up now with. This idea that we have a tremendous opportunity ahead of us, but yet that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And I want to talk about this documentary, you know, television special, whatever it was I watched. when I was probably about 16 years old. It was called The Story of the Grouse in the goshawk. And again, I was a hunter. And so this really caught my eye. It, I think it kind of was on whatever channel Marty Stauffer's Wild America came on back then. It might have been PBS. It probably was. Because they actually used to put, you know, good programming worth watching on PBS. Remember that? You guys that are old enough to remember that? And here was the basic story of the grouse and the goshawk. And what really made, like, okay, here I am, I'm 50 years old. 
and I'm telling you this story of this TV show I watched one time. So we didn't have DVRs back then. I'm so old. I remember when we didn't have DVRs. I didn't have it on VHS tape. We didn't own a VCR yet. Okay. We were poor. This would have been about 87-ish, somewhere in that range. But here was the story of the grouse and the goshawk. They are two species that to each other are keystone intertwined species. One of the, the goshawk's primary feed species is the rough grouse. And of course, that means that one of the primary predators that's actually capable of catching a rough grouse, because a fox will certainly eat a rough grouse, but the rough grouse is like, <clears throat> those of you that know the sound, like, <laughs> I don't think so, bitch. I'm out of here. But the goshawk has these short falcon-like wings, and it will tumble through the timber after the grouse. And it's one of the few predator birds that in a forested situation is the grouse's equal. So the population of the grouse will grow. And as it does, the goshawks will successfully rear more chicks. And then there'll be more goshawks who will heavily prey upon the grouse and the grouse population will dwindle. And then the goshawks will decline in population and the grouse population will rebound. And there's this dance in about a six-year cycle, three years up, three years down, that's gone on eternally between the grouse and the goshawk. And, oh, it was, there's somebody that is a historian. It was a Maudie star, star, Starfer. I guess you looked it up, Pack, right? He says, Wild America, 1987, Series 9, Episode 2, The Grouse and the Goshawk. Wow. I'm going to watch that. Very cool. Thank you for that. I'll try to look that up and uh, and put it in the show notes. Cool. Well, I noticed something else as a hunter. I love hunting squirrels. It's one of my great passions. I, in some ways, I like to hunt squirrel more than anything else. Big bag limit. Don't have to work too hard. Tastes delicious. Easy to clean if you know how. Takes me a few 30, 40 seconds to skin a squirrel. And I really like eating squirrels. Well, the goshawks eat the squirrels as much as they eat the grouse. And the population cycle of the gray squirrel and the grouse always correlated when we were hunting. You would always notice that a year with a lot of squirrels, there were a lot of grouse. Well, now it made sense, even as a kid. More goshawks, less squirrels, less grouse. And uh, calm down, dog. Dogs having other dogs having a dream right now, scratching the air conditioner. Anyway, um, it didn't. It, it made sense, and it's just a cycle. It's a natural cycle of growth, maturity, death, decline, and rebirth. And it's a relatively short cycle a relatively short cycle we have the same cycles as nature growth maturity death decline and rebirth and it just so happens that somebody will live through the end of the cycle some group of people will be around past the maturity phase in the decline phase. And we are an American empire. And we have been an American empire for about 200 years. 
we have been the global currency for about a hundred. It's the end of a cycle. And while our human cycles are much longer than the cycle of the grouse and the goshawk, they are accelerating. When we develop technology that lets us build and manufacture and recycle faster, the cycle itself will accelerate. And it's just time. Another thing I said last week is there's a line in one of the Batman movies from the Joker. And it's where he's baiting the cop, so the cop will try to beat him up, and he can kill the cop and escape. And he throws an extra line in that, you know, you want to know which one of them are cowards? That's not what it's about. It's about the first line. He said, when somebody's dying, they show you exactly who they are. Who's showing you exactly who they are right now? Are not the banking elites 100% revealing who and what they are to you right now? Not lying about it anymore. The oligarchs, are they not revealing exactly what their end goals are? What their agendas are? No longer cloaking them. The woke, socialists, the people in government that are actively destroying Western culture, are they hiding anything about themselves anymore? Are they cloaking it in any form of illusion anymore? They might be playing deception and keeping you guessing about what comes next, but not who they are. People that we thought of as moderate Democrats 15 years ago might as well get a hammer and sickle and a swastika on their forehead at the same time. They might as well. Might as well just go ahead, go all in. You're already revealing who and what you are. Why? Because the system itself is dying. When someone is dying, they show you who they are. The problem is when a power structure is dying, instead of seeking to solve the problems that itself has created in order to maintain power, it focuses exclusively on the maintaining of power and it ignores the problems that are a threat to its power. It is a law of stupidity in motion. And it is not new. I talked a lot about 1491, the book, right? America before Columbus. The Mexia, the power elites in the Mexia did it. They focused on maintaining their power versus fixing the problems. It happened to empires within the Maya and the Inca. You think we're immune to it? It happened to Rome. People don't talk about it. Everybody wants to try, to try to draw the corollary, like buy gold because when Rome went away from gold, they collapsed. No, when Rome, when the emperors ceased trying to solve the problems of the Roman people and sought more to maintain power, they had collapse. Go look at any collapse of any empire. When the power structure focuses more on its own power, than on providing for the people, it collapses. And I don't think it's that's why it collapses. When Once it begins to collapse, then that happens. 
it's already too late. And the longer they do it, the more too late it becomes and the less ability there is to reverse course. And there is a point at which they know it. You just so happen to be cursed or blessed, depending on what you choose to do with this, based on when you were born. You are going to live through this unless you're really old and you just ain't going to live very long. If you're as young as me or even 10 years older, you're going to live, unless you die young, you are going to live all the way through this cycle over the next 20 to 25 years. If you're a young person, you have two choices. You let this destroy you or you build an incredible life. The people that were going through the Great Depression, World War II, they did not like it. They did not enjoy it. They did not rejoice for it. When the dust bowl came, they did not sing praises to the storm. When rationing came, they didn't celebrate not having the things they'd become accustomed to. When their life savings were wiped out, they did not cheer. They had something we didn't. We don't in general in society today. They had courage and skills. But a lot of them didn't. A lot of them didn't have courage. A lot of them didn't have skills. But in general, more people had courage and skill in 1930 than do in 2023. They knew how to do shit. Well, we can learn how to do shit if we haven't already learned. I've only been trying to tell you to learn shit for 15 years. So you can learn. But what do we have that they didn't? They didn't have Bitcoin. They didn't have an Internet. They didn't have an internet-worked gig economy. They didn't have the ability to communicate around the world in seconds for no money. We have so much more than they had. So much more. And there's only two ways that works out. You secure what you have, or you become a kid whose parents gave them everything so that when they needed to discipline them, they could just take things away. If you use their money, they cut it off. You use our money, they can't touch it. You use their food, they can cut it off. They can ration it. They can slow it down. You produce your own, they can go screw. You use their economy, they control who you do business with and how. We create our parallel economy. We do business with who we choose to and tell them to go screw. We couldn't conceive of a, of a thing like Bitcoin 15 years ago. We couldn't conceive of a thing like the Lightning Network 10 years ago. And we couldn't conceive of something like a Noster one year ago. And that is a small fraction of what we have. My grandmother and her parents either knew how to do a thing or they didn't. And there was either someone whose home they could physically walk to that could help them with it, or they couldn't do it. You have a thing you want to do. There's a thousand people competing for your attention, asking for permission to teach you, and you think your life is so hard. Let me tell you something about those people in that time. 
that did not rejoice when they had to go through something the same but different that we're about to go through. The ones that put their head up and said, I will do what I can with what I have. I will make something more for myself and my family. Some of the greatest fortunes of mankind were built in the depressions and recessions of the late 1800s and early 1900s and right through into the war years. I keep telling you to do it. I keep telling you to do it. Well, freaking do it. Go watch a mainstream media TV show that should inspire you as much as my words. The food that built America. Sounds stupid. A lot of the food in it is the very things causing type 2 diabetes today. Pay attention to the business aspects of it. Pay attention to when most of these companies were created. They were created at the end of the 1800s after the Civil War. Not a good financial time. The Great Freaking Depression in the war years or the stagflation of the 1970s. The greatest production incomes of things and commodities ever created were created in times like we're about to go through. And so many will say, I wish I would have lived back then so I could have capitalized on that. Well, you're either going to do it now or you wouldn't have done the square root of F all back then either. This is the thing. Your chance to decide is not done yet. You're not done yet. Go in the bathroom, lean real close to the mirror where you brush your teeth and shave and whatever. Put your makeup on, ladies, and go and breathe. Does it fog? If it fogs, go fog the damn thing up good and write, I'm not done yet, and read it and fucking believe it. You're not done yet. We're about to go through hard effing times, turmoil, the death of an evil empire. An evil empire, an empire that feeds children sugar to the point of creating obesity epidemics by the time they're 12 years old and type 2 diabetes in people that are under 20 years of age. You tell me that's not an evil empire and I will call you a fucking liar right to your face because you are. If that's not evil, do tell me what is. When you have a medical industry talking about chopping off the sexual organs of minors, tell me that's not an evil empire. When you create a system where wealthy people can make more money for themselves every time they want to, whenever they want, with no risk, at the expense of the majority of people who do the majority of work, tell me that's not evil. Ronald Reagan called out the Soviet Union as an evil empire, and I'll tell you it was. It didn't have shit on what we do today because we're better at making it look shiny. Just because you can shove avocado toast in your face hole doesn't mean that we're doing it right. It doesn't mean that we're doing it right. And it doesn't have to be this way. Everything you eat or don't eat, you choose. Everything you put in your mouth or your body, you choose. Whether you get your ass up and move around or lay on your butt, you choose. The company you work for, no matter how much you think you need to keep the job you have, you choose to keep it. You can start a side hustle and get out of it slowly. You can look for another job and move yourself and your family somewhere better. I don't know what your solution is, and I won't tell you you're wrong for the one that you make. But don't make excuses to me when you tell me about it, because that just means you're unhappy and you're unwilling to do what is necessary to sacrifice. And our parents, our grandparents, and our great-grandparents would slap us all 
for complaining in a time with so much abundance of opportunity. There's never been, in my opinion, a more, I was going to say a better time to be alive. But I don't think that's the right word. There's never been a bad time to be alive that's so good. There's never been a time this bad as far as the people in power having control over society that has also had as much opportunity to steal it from them, to take it. Steal is not the right word to reclaim it from them. There's never been a time. One of the most heartening things I saw this weekend was the secretary of the army. She put out a tweet about all the great opportunities to be in the military and all the veterans that showed up and said, don't do it. People withholding from service, not because they don't believe in America, because they don't believe in what America is doing. Seeing a man say, I served, my dad served, my grandfather served, and somebody in my family served back to the American Revolution, and my children will not. That's an indoctrinated family that said, we're done. No. The power's always been here in us. It's always been in us. But we have been deceived. We have been deceived like some kind of sick, grim fairy tale. Jack in the Beanstalk giving up his cow for magic beans. But everything changed when Jack planted the beans. When COVID started, Nicole Sauce from the expert council called me and said she was worried about supply chains and she was worried about her business going down at the same time. And she gave me a very long explanation of why it was a good idea to buy a whole bunch of coffee beans now and a whole bunch of mitigating reasons why maybe she shouldn't and how risky it would be. And I let her talk. 15 minutes. And I said, are you done? She said, yeah. I said, buy the beans. Buy the beans. Plant the beans. Do something. You will look back at this time. Assuming you don't, I mean, you guys know I'm a fatalist on some levels. I could get hit by a truck tomorrow. Assuming you're here. 20 years from now, you will look back at this time and think it was the greatest moment for you, no matter how bad it went, or the biggest squandering of opportunity you ever did. There will be no middle ground. There will be no middle ground. There'll be no, ah, yeah, I did okay. It's not going to be that way. You will be more free in 20 years or you will be more enslaved. You know the people that said my life will be about the same? No, it won't. Wake up. I've been only telling you this since 2008. There is no static in life. You're moving toward liberty or you're moving toward tyranny. You cannot stay static. You advance or they push you back. What will you do? Who will you do it with? Who will you partner with? I've asked this question before. It seems like the right time to ask it again. 
Are you going to stand or kneel? I will kneel before no man. I will stand. I will stand. And when you say, but what if they do this? And what if they do that? I will figure it the fuck out when they do it because I'm not going to kneel. I will not kneel and I will not bow. And I suggest that you don't either. And people think I have some kind of magic or something. Well, you're Jack Spirico. Who gives a shit who I am? You know what I am? I'm an aging, middle-aged man who for every victory he has has 100 defeats. If I can do it, you can do it. Don't give me your bullshit that I'm something special and you're not, especially when you're 25. Oh, you 25-year-olds. Oh, give me the opportunity you have. By the time you're my age, you should own half a fucking county, if that's what you want anyway. Scramlin says, growing or dying, choose to live. You know, another way to look at that, a little bit of fatalism, you are dying a little bit every day. I hope you're doing something with it. Make the most of your dash. With that, I want to wrap things up. I want to remind you guys that I do this show because I really care. I hope that that came through today. I want, I think sometimes I want it more for people than they want it for themselves. And there's times I've had conversations with myself internally. Maybe you should worry more about yourself then. The truth is I'm doing what every single person's doing. The thing I most want to do. The thing I most want to do. If it takes me believing in you for you to believe in you, that's what I'm going to keep doing. And I do pay my bills with this show. And if you want to support me, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. You can join the members brigade. That costs you nothing because you get your money back. Uh, I will be bringing on a really amazing vendor. I will go ahead and tell you who it's going to be. I guess something could go wrong with it, but based on the conversation I had last week, I can't see it. Mile High Distilling, who makes some of the best distilling and brewing equipment on the planet. Their welding is literal artwork. They make gorgeous distillation equipment. 10% off everything. That should drop this week. Those are the types of people that I'm working on now. I brought in a lot of small businesses and stuff like that over the years. I'm trying to, like, once every couple of months, bring in something to that level. And so we're bringing them on, so consider joining the MSB. The other thing you can do is, you know, the most painless way in the world to support me, you guys buy stuff online all the time. Um, just do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. If you start your online shopping at tspaz.com, you help us out no matter what you buy. Today's item of the day I had just a couple of weeks ago, but it's on sale again. The Anchor Soundcore Life P2 wireless earbuds. These things are every bit as good as $150 Apple AirPods. They're $32.98 on sale today. They pair all the time, every time. They just work great. And they're black, not white. So you can stop. You guys that do your YouTube videos with the white AirPods, you look like a scene from something about Mary. I'm just saying Stop doing that. Get yourself some black ones. Uh, they look great. They work great. They have awesome sound. Uh, check them out today. But you can always support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. If you guys are on Fountain FM, hey, boost me, stream me, sats, whatever you want to do. You can always uh, uh, you can uh, hear you super chats on YouTube. Uh, I hate actually saying, hey, give me money, right? But also don't hate money. And, and I believe I bring value to just about everything we do. If you're on Noster, get by the notes today. Pick up my pub key. Follow me there. Let's zap some value back and forth. 
the exchange of value is a big part of what I'm talking about today. There, that is how we all make a living. And the more that we do, the more that we gain. And that's maybe not why we should do it, but in the end, it's true. So I'll keep working hard for you guys. Uh, on that, I finally have Oscar Mary, who's he? Oscar Mary is one of the founders of Fountain FM. He will be on Bitcoin Breakout tomorrow. Uh, I've got some other great stuff lined up for you this week. And I challenge you, I challenge you to really take to heart some of the things that I said today. To ask yourself, are you really doing what you can to make your life better and to make sure that you are going to leave general generational wealth behind for your children? That's what I really want to end on today. That's what I really want to end on today. There's my pub key. You probably can't copy it off the screen. Generational wealth. The number one reason people fail economically in a world with so much opportunity is they're afraid to declare a goal that actually requires effort to achieve. When I started this show, I said in one year, and I mean, I was a month into it. I had like 12 people listening. There might, and the, the testament to this is there's some of those 12 people still here. I said in one year, I don't even know how yet. I will be able to take this and make this what I do for the rest of my life. I said it on the air and I meant it and I took the risk and I said it and I meant it when I said it. And that might seem obvious today looking back. It always does. It sounded like crazy talk with a dozen listeners and two weeks worth of shows under my belt. But I said it and I meant it. That's why it happened. It's amazing. You see a person that makes a goal, I want a seven-figure income, and somehow they do it. When they make the declaration, they're working for minimum wage. I'm going to become a homeowner, raise my kids in a home. I just saw a guy this week on Twitter. He doesn't follow me. One of, one of y'all that follow me, like, retweeted him. He was so proud of himself. He put this picture up of his two little kids, his two little babies, sleeping in a bed together in a shambled apartment a year before. And the pictures he was posting this day were his new beautiful home. Beautiful home. I just said, good for you, man. Good for you. So here, here's the goal that most Americans have lost the courage to state. I will build generational wealth for my family. That sounds like something a billionaire brags about. Build generational wealth for your family. Build it in money. Build it in property. Build it in handing down skills and ensuring that that next generation can look after itself and the one there after it. Build a legacy that will still be here when you are nothing but a dash on a stone. Or what are you doing? What are you doing? If when they incinerate you or bury you or whatever you plan to have done when you're gone, is if it is as if you were never here, what are you doing? I'll let that hang with you. I'll catch you guys tomorrow with another episode.
down Are they gonna bail you out Or just run you around They said you should have a house The American way A dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay Yeah.